Uh, James 5, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray again that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you might humble us before your word today. There are lots of things on our minds and our hearts that might distract us from hearing what you have to say. And so, Lord, we do pray for at least a few minutes now. Take them away so that we might once again find the comfort of listening to your voice. Amen. Now, I don't think there are any surprises as to why I've chosen this passage before us today. Our brother, Mike, is sick. He's asked that we pray for healing. And as so often happens, it turns out that the Lord has anticipated our needs. He's given us a passage that talks about prayer and about healing. Uh, Giving you a head start on your hub studies this week, that's just an added bonus. But so, just to kind of be clear tonight, I want to make something absolutely clear. I want to make clear that I believe in healing. I believe in the healing that God gives, that he is the source of all healing. I believe in the healing that comes through the ordinary means of of good doctors and good medical professionals. And I believe in the healing, the extraordinary healing, that is not explainable by good doctors and good medical professionals. And I believe that both are miracles from God and he deserves thanks for both. And I certainly believe in praying for healing, Uh, not just now, of course. I think uh, any sickness, any suffering that people go through are things we should pray for. Uh, Praying for healing is a very regular part of my prayer times, partly because I have four small children in the house and it's just been the flus and cold season and it seems like someone's always sick over winter in our place, but just because there's always people who need to be prayed for because they're, they're sick. But I also believe that a good place to pray is as you wait to go in to see the doctor or as you sit beside the hospital bed. And I'm very happy to pray for you when you're sick. I I love to pray for people when they're sick. Uh, And I'm also very happy to do it with oil, if that's what you would like. If, If you want me to pray for healing and anoint you with oil, as the passage says, I'm more than happy to do it. In fact, just to be prepared... I bought some today. I thought, if we're going to do this, we ought to do this properly. So I bought some more West Australian olive oil. That's got to count for something, doesn't it? It's the proper stuff. Although uh, I must say that if you do choose to take up that option, uh, St. Matthew's Shenton Park does not take any responsibility for damage to clothing sustained during the anointing with oil. I say this because a friend of mine who's a pastor, uh, he ruined a lady's very lovely and very expensive blouse 
Now, when he decided that as he anointed her with oil and prayed over her, uh, that he would close his eyes. And so he overdid the anointing and underdid the praying, if I can put it like that. Now, I say all this because healing is the big thing that captures our imagination in this passage, isn't it? The sick person made well by the prayer of faith. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. These verses get a lot of attention. And rightly so. Sickness is a dreadful experience. And healing is always a very powerful need. However, is that the main thing that James is saying in this passage? Does he want to talk to us primarily about healing or primarily about prayer? Because prayer is the word that's most often repeated in the passage. Prayer, you'll notice, is there in verse 13, in verse 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18. It's not in verses 19 and 20, but I think it's implied in verses 19 and 20. And so I think it's a simple enough conclusion to come to that prayer is the focus of these verses, but that what he has to say about healing is very important, especially to us now. And so I really want to talk to you about three things today, Uh, three uh, very simple things. I want to talk to you about when should we pray in verse 13. I want to talk to you about when should we pray for others, and the, the two scenarios, one in verses 14 to 16 and one in verses 19 to 20. And then last of all, I want to talk about why should pray, and the very interesting example of Elijah there in verses 17 and 18. But firstly then, when should we pray? Well, come with me to to verse 13, would you? Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Are you in trouble? Are you suffering? You should pray. Or, Or are you cheerful? Are you happy? Is everything going well in your life? Well, you should sing praises to God. That is, you should pray happily. Pray with joy. And so presumably, if you're anywhere between those two things, anywhere between suffering and joy, suffering and cheerfulness, we should pray. No matter the situation, says James, prayer is an appropriate response to God. In many ways, really, I think what James is asking us is a very simple but yet profound question, and that's this. Have we learnt to relate to God yet? Have we learned to relate to God as a person? Have we learned to to speak with God, whatever the circumstances of our life? And that's really important, actually. That's quite a profound question. Because if you are in trouble and you tell everyone except God, if you ask everyone for help except God, well, what sort of a believer are you? And what sort of God do you believe in? Likewise, if you are cheerful and you tell everyone except God and you credit your happiness to everyone and everything other than God, if you do not sing praises and thank God for his generosity towards you, then, well, what sort of believer are you? And what sort of God do you believe in? It's a very important question. Have you learnt to relate to God in all the circumstances of life? Now, of course, we all want to grow in our prayer life, don't we? Everyone I know wants to to grow in their prayer life. Who doesn't? And to do that, we do need to keep coming back to God. 
keep coming back to who he is and, and what he has done for us. Which means we need to keep coming back to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is in the gospel that we find the very foundation of our relationship with God. What he has done for us in sending his only son to die to forgive us our sins and to rise for our justification. It's in the gospel that we grow in our understanding and our appreciation of God's goodness and love for us in Christ Jesus. And as we grow in that, that is how we will grow in our prayers. That's the most important thing. Although can I say, humanly speaking, a little discipline and even a little technology can actually really help us in our prayers. Setting aside regular times to pray, times where we can be awake and alert and even alone, able to concentrate, they're very important parts of of a prayer life. Uh, There's nothing wrong with with spontaneous prayer. It's, It's a wonderful part of our life that we can always pray to God. But actually spontaneous prayer is no substitute for a disciplined, regular, set aside time of prayer. There's also great value in having discipline about what we pray for. I think one of the the great dangers of a disorganised prayer life is that we end up just praying kind of shopping list prayers, just pray for the kinds of things that I want, rather than praying for what others need, rather than praying for what God needs or, or what God wants, his purposes and his plans and his promises. And I am, I think, I'm a great advocate. We have two prayer diaries, two prayer emails that go out every month. We have one that gives you a prayer to pray each and every day for our church and what's happening in our church. And another prayer diary that gives you another prayer each and every day to pray for all of our gospel partners around the world. And they're a great help in in having lots of things to pray for. But really, however you do it, whatever way you choose to do it, some discipline in what we pray for really helps to expand our prayer horizons uh, beyond just us and our immediate needs. And, you know, a little technology can help too. There's all sorts of apps these days that can help you uh, to pray. I have all sorts of reminders tucked away in my phone to pray for for different people on different days. Some of the people even here I pray for because my phone tells me that it's time for me to pray for you. Uh, It's human help in the discipline of prayer. It's not a bad thing. And in fact, there's a worthy topic of conversation amongst us. What are the tips and tricks that you use that maybe might help other people to pray too? But if we really want to grow in our prayers... We do have to keep coming back to the gospel and what he has done for us. Because James's point again is really this. Whatever your situation that you are in, whatever is happening in your life, prayer is the right way to respond. And so have you learnt to pray in every and any situation? Have you learnt to relate to God like that? But when should we pray for others? When should we pray for others? Uh, Because there is times where we need to pray for others as well. And there are two specific times that are mentioned. Uh, The first is we pray for others when they ask for it. That's the scenario in verses 14 to 16. And the other time in verses 19 to to 20 is to pray when they need it. Or perhaps a better way to put it is that we pray for people when they're unable to pray... And we pray for people when they're unwilling to pray. 
Uh, let's pick up the difficult one in verses 14 to 16 first, and this will take a moment or two. Uh, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, notice straight away that there's a slight change. Are you suffering? Talk to God. Are you cheerful? Talk to God. But are you sick? Talk to the elders. That's a little different. Because prayer is the right way to respond in any situation. But what happens if you can't? Uh, What happens if you are sick? You know, really sick. So sick that you are weak. That's what's literally said there in verse 14. So weak that you you can't pray for yourself. Uh, Perhaps it's a a weakness of the body. Uh, You are so ill that you can't speak or or can't think. Especially in a world without modern painkillers or modern medicine. Or perhaps it's a weakness of the spirit, uh, that you are so troubled and so worried and so fearful that you are unable to pray. Well, if you are like that, says James, uh, get the elders, get the leaders of your church around, uh, get them together, get other Christians praying for you and get them to come and to pour oil on you and to pray over you. In fact, that's quite literally, quite literally praying over the person. I think another hint that this person is so sick that they are confined to their bed. And now, why does he mention oil? Probably not for medicinal reasons. The fact that the elders are being called means that it's a spiritual situation. It's a, it's a pastoral situation. Probably the oil there is meant to be, you know, a visible sign of their dedication towards God, their devotion to God. Just like when in the Old Testament, the, the kings and the prophets were appointed and they were anointed with oil. Perhaps this gravely sick person wants to redevote their life to God and you doing it with oil is especially significant for them. But the focus isn't really on the oil, instead it's on the prayer. Because when prayer is offered in faith, the prayer of a righteous person, three things happen in verse 15. One, it will make them well or more literally it will save them. Two, it will restore them to health, or or more literally, it will raise them up, uh, which could mean a a physical healing, a raising up of their body, or it could mean a raising up of their spirits, that they, they feel better. Or it might even be a reference to the promise of being raised up on the last day of resurrection, the raising of our bodies, immortal and imperishable, free from all sickness and weakness. Any of those things, it seems, is something that could happen when the righteous person prays for someone who is sick. And of course, thirdly, the prayer will also bring the forgiveness of any sins that have been committed that have led to that weakness or that sickness. And so really, this verse, it's quite a a specific situation with a very general outcome. You know, someone is too weak to pray. So the elders of the church go around and pray on their behalf that they might be raised up and restored. But the outcome is quite general. Perhaps they will be saved from sickness and raised to new health. 
Or perhaps they will be saved from fear and raised to new usefulness. Or perhaps they will be saved from sins and raised to glory. It could be any of those things. It is very tempting to read this passage the other way around, not as a specific situation with a general outcome, but actually as a general situation with a specific outcome. That somehow we can pray for anyone who is physically sick uh, and there will be this very specific outcome that they will be healed. But that is actually to read this verse the wrong way around. It's a very attractive way of reading this verse, but it's not what James is saying. James is not saying that prayer is somehow a magic formula. That if you are sick, you can pray and be healed from your sickness. And the power of prayer does not reside in special people, these righteous people who somehow can pray and and things like this will happen. No, instead, really, all this is here in these verses is a private prayer made on a sick person's behalf at their invitation that they may be comforted and restored because they are too weak to pray. And these are the kinds of prayers that we do make and we should make for people all the time. Prayers for people to be raised up. Prayers for God to be glorified in people's lives. Prayers that we would trust Jesus more and more in times of hardship and difficulty. And prayers for the sick, that if God wills it, they might be healed. And not just healed, but also forgiven. You notice that at the end of verse 15? We can't forget about it, it's quite important, because it opens this passage up to being more than just about prayer and healing, but also about the forgiveness of sins. Because sin may be involved in this sickness. Now, there is a connection in the Bible between sin and sickness. It's not one that we like to talk about, but it's there. But it's not an exact connection. And so when, in John chapter 9, verse 2, when a man who was born blind comes to Jesus, his disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't say, no, no, you've got it wrong. That's not how it works at all. Because actually there is a connection between sin and sickness. Instead, what Jesus says is this. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There is a connection, he says, but it's not an exact one. We can never look at someone and say, this this sickness that you're suffering, this horrible thing that has happened in your life is the result of some sin that you have committed. We can never say that to someone. In fact, there is a whole book of the Bible that does in part dispel that idea. It's the book of Job. It's a wonderful book. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful book. It's, it's worth reading. But it, it reminds us that even though there is a connection between sin and sickness, it is never an exact one. And so that's why there is an if in verse 15. If there is a sin that has led to, to some sickness, they will be forgiven. And so that's the encouragement that James makes to all of us in verse 16, that all of us need to confess our sins towards one another and pray for each other so that we too might not become sick or if we are sick that we might be healed. There is a lesson here for all of us about not just the spiritual danger of sin but even the physical danger of sin. 
Again, that's not a connection that we in the modern world like to make, but the Bible does make it. The Bible understands that sickness and pain and suffering is part of what it means to live in a fallen world in rebellion against its creator. And that even without an exact connection, there is a connection. And so James doesn't want us to hear all of this and be very interested in healing and make no connection with sin and forgiveness. The problem with that is that it misses the point that the cause of sickness is sin. Sickness is the symptom, but the root of the problem is our rebellion against God, and that needs to be dealt with. But likewise, James doesn't want us to hear this and be very interested in forgiveness and even confession, but make no connection with healing. The problem with that is it misses the point that sin has consequences. We lose the effect of sin, that it leads to sickness, and even ultimately it leads to death. And so when we do find ourselves sick, a pause for self-examination is not a bad idea. Is there a sin in my life that perhaps I need to repent of? Not because it's caused this sickness, but just because being sick has reminded me again that this is a fallen world, ruled over by sin and sickness and death. And Jesus has come to deal with all of those things. Because, of course, when Jesus came to bring us the forgiveness of our sins... What was the clearest sign that that's what he was doing? It was his healings. Jesus healed so much and so powerfully that it's often been said that for all intents and purposes, Jesus banished disease and sickness from Palestine during his earthly ministry. Jesus healed the lame, the deaf, the blind. Jesus raised the dead. And all the while, Jesus proclaimed that he was bringing the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins. And so says James in verse 16, pray for each other, confess your sins to each other, help each other in weakness before you become so weak that you are unable to pray so that we might be healed and even more importantly, we might be forgiven. And let me say, if you do ever get to that point, if you do ever find yourself so weak that you are unable to pray, either physically or spiritually, please do let someone know. We are a family here at St. Matthew's. And we should never be so busy that we don't have time to pray for each other. I am never too busy to pray for you. I'll put you in my phone. I'll even bring the oil if that's what you want. But we pray for each other. That's what it means to be part of God's people. And that leads to the second situation where we need to pray for others. Not a prayer for those who are so weak that they're unable to pray, but those who are unwilling to pray in verses 19 and 20. Let me read them to you. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. And cover over a multitude of sins. Now prayer is not mentioned in verses 19 and 20. But I do think it is implied. Uh, This is not someone who is unable to pray. Because they are weak. Like back in uh, verses 14 to 16. This is someone who is unwilling to pray. 
This is someone who does not want to be raised up and forgiven, but someone who needs it. This is someone who is straying from the truth, perhaps in a minor way or perhaps in a more serious way. Seeing you've been studying the book of James, I think in the context of the book of James, he's probably talking about someone who's fallen into the trap of being a double-minded Christian. Someone who claims to have faith in Jesus and yet remains unchanged by Jesus' lordship. Someone who wants to be friends with God and friends with the world. And yet their behaviour shows that they have room in their heart for only one master and it is not the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, verses 19 and 20 don't actually tell us the way that you turn a sinner from the error of their ways. And I'm sure it will involve talking to them. But if we think that we can turn a sinner back without prayer, without asking God, if we think that we are anything other than just a tool or an instrument, a servant in the hands of our master, then we overestimate our power and we underestimate God's. But when we do pray for others and God does turn them back, he does save them, then we can rightly say that we have saved their life, says James. As a tool, as an instrument, as a servant, as one who has themselves been saved by the same Lord and Master. We can and should rejoice in the way that God chooses to use us and the way that the death and the resurrection of Jesus can work through even our lives to cover a multitude of sins. Now, of course, we all know people like this, don't we? We know people who've gone out from our church or out from our university groups or out from our families, out from our friends. We know people who have strayed from following Christ. Pray for these people. They will not pray for themselves, so we must do it for them. And really, I think there's a a wonderful picture of the Christian life that's here in in James chapter 5. A wonderful picture of what it means to be a a church and to be a family together. Praying for each other, rejoicing with with each other, praying for others in their weakness, in our sins. Praying for each other that we might be brought back to God when we stray with gentleness and humility. Turning each other back to Jesus again and again and again. The prayers of a righteous person sustaining us through hard and testing times. Here is a wonderful reminder of what it means to be the body of Christ. And so let me just finish up with one last thing. Why should we pray? Because we are suffering? Yes. Because we are cheerful? Yes. Because we know someone who is weak? Yes. Because we know someone who is straying, yes. All those things are true. But there is an even deeper reason why we should pray, I think, nestled in verses 17 to 18 and the example of Elijah. Because Elijah is a great example of how the power of prayer is always in God and never in us. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, Elijah made it into the top two. Remember when Jesus was transfigured? Who's at his right and his left? 
Moses and Elijah. Elijah is top two prophet in the Old Testament. That's how great Elijah was. And his story is in 1 Kings. He was a prophet when things got really bad, when the whole nation of Israel was straying away from God and Elijah turned them back. He prayed that it would not rain and for three and a half years it did not rain. And he prayed that it would rain and there was a thunderstorm that afternoon. And yet James says his nature was just like ours in verse 17. He was a person who had his huge ups and had his huge downs. He had a a huge moment, if you remember, at Mount Carmel in in 1 Kings chapter 18 against the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. And yet in the very next chapter, he's running terrified for his life from Queen Jezebel. Elijah was a very ordinary man in so many ways. And so he is a great reminder to us That a healthy believer is not a spiritual giant. A healthy believer is someone who knows that God is a spiritual giant. A healthy believer is not someone who thinks that God answers our prayers because we are good or we are faithful. A healthy believer is someone who knows that God answers prayer because he is good and he is faithful. The power of prayer is in God and not in us. It's not in our many words. It's not in our carefully crafted prayers. The power is in the one that I speak to. That's why oil is less important than prayer. And that's why prayer is less important than the one we pray to. It's the Lord who heals in response to prayer. It's the Lord who saves and forgives in response to prayer. And that's why the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Not because a righteous person is powerful and effective, but because God listens to their prayer. Psalm 34 verse 14 The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The prayer of the righteous person is very powerful because God will listen. Will God answer every one of our prayers? He will. He will answer every single one of our prayers, but not always in the way that we want him to. Tim Keller said that God will either give us what we ask for or will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. Yes, our our prayers are powerful, but there always needs to be a a big God willing at the bottom of, of every one of our prayers. Sometimes God does say yes to our prayers. Sometimes God says, not yet, keep praying. And sometimes God says no, because he's saying, I have something better planned. Prayer is the opportunity to petition a great king. It was John Newton who once said, Thou art coming to a king 
large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. But he is a king. It's his decision what to do in response to our prayers. It is a unique honour and privilege to ask. A privilege I suspect we would take much more advantage of if we truly understood it. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this passage is an encouragement to genuine, earnest, regular, sustained, disciplined and humble prayer for each other. And our brother Mike has asked for our prayers for him and for his family. And they need our prayers. And they're asking us to pray for the very things that James chapter 5 promises that God will listen to us about. How can we fail to answer this call? But as we do that, we must always remember that the power is never in us. And it is always in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him belongs all honour and praise and thanks, whether we're suffering, whether we're cheerful, and however he chooses to answer our prayers. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this encouragement to be diligent and disciplined in prayer, knowing that you hear us. Lord, we ask that you would grow us into those who pray in, in all the circumstances of our life, whether we're suffering, whether we're cheerful, and anything in between. And we particularly pray now in the circumstances that we find ourselves in as a church, grow us as prayers, Lord. Give us, Lord, a humble boldness before you. Humble for you are a great king. But bold because you have promised that your ears are attentive to our cries for mercy. Answer our prayers, we ask, Lord. Especially answer our prayers for Mike and for his family. And do it, Lord, we pray for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.